We're going to talk about one of the true giants and one of the most creative spirits in the history of jazz. And I really can't say history because when you say history, you're talking about something in the past. And this guy, at 90 years of age, is still practicing every day, two or three hours, and performing. His name, at birth, was Walter Theodore Rollins. We know him as Sonny Rollins. His friends knew him as Nuke because he had uh, an uncanny resemblance to a uh, Dodger baseball player named Nukesome. So um, they just shortened it to Nuke. But we know him as Sonny and we'll go with that, okay? Born in 1930, uh, in uh, New York, in Harlem. He grew up in Central Harlem and uh, in Sugar Hill. Sugar Hill, yeah. That's a part of Harlem where the people in the middle class that had a little money and could eat good and dress good and had some opportunity to live there. It was called Sugar Hill. A lot of artists and uh, politicians and uh, civic leaders and whatnot came from that Sugar Hill. Uh, area. Matter of fact, uh, I went to a club there a few years ago that Winter Marcellus owned called the Sugar Hill Bistro. Uh, it's still happening uh, on Sugar Hill. Well, Sonny was born there in uh, 1930. Uh, he is from a Caribbean family, West Indies. Um, and uh, you're going to find that in his career, uh, he never forgot where he came from. We'll talk about that in, in a while. You see, his life started like all uh, fairly privileged young African-American kids in uh, Sugar Hill, junior high and high school. You had to graduate. You couldn't just drop out and go somewhere. Uh, those uh, career and families wouldn't stand for that. You got to get your education, boy. But uh, suddenly started playing instruments. Um, first, the piano. Uh, that may explain why he was such a great improviser, had such great ears, and also a great composer. Uh, he moved from the uh, piano to the alto saxophone uh, for a few years. And somewhere around 16, he switched to the tenor saxophone, and that is where he stayed. And that became his primary instrument from 16 on. Uh, in high school, he hung out with some friends, um, like Kenny Drew. Yeah, that's right, I said Kenny Drew. Uh, was his friend from high school. And uh, he and a bunch of other guys that became great jazz luminaries had a band in high school, and that is how uh, jazz and performing uh, started for him. Um, he seemed to always be in the right place uh, at the right time, and Sugar Hill was always the right place. Uh, all the musicians uh, came through there. Um, you may remember this legendary photo uh, that was taken somewhere around 1959, a great day in Harlem, uh, where all these jazz musicians and a few kids from the neighborhood were photographed. Uh, Sonny is in that photograph. He was always on the scene. Um, 
he soon, uh, although a little bit younger than uh, the Beboppers, um, he would have been, uh, you know, 15 and uh, 16 when um, Miles Davis started playing with Bird, which means uh, he had just switched to tenor saxophone. So he was a little bit, of, he was one of the young guys. We call him one of the young lions. But uh, he learned very, very quickly. And uh, he was a prolific practicer. Uh, and um, did not mind woodshedding, and that led him to be in ensembles with the greatest very, very early. Everyone from uh, Theolonius Monk to Max Roach, his favorite drummer, uh, Miles Davis. Um, he was in Clifford Brown's band, and uh, he even made one recording uh, while playing with uh, Miles Davis. Um, that included John Coltrane. It's the only recording of uh, Train and um, Nuke together. Now, uh, very early on, uh, on one of the first albums he recorded with Miles, uh, he premiered his compositions, uh, Doxy, um, uh, Pin Up House, not Pin House, Pin Up House, <laughs> probably referring to uh, what it was like uh, being raised in a strict Caribbean uh, family, um, uh, Allegrin, which people uh, need to understand, is uh, Nigeria spelled backwards. Uh, he always had this um, sense of Pan-Africanism, that he was connected to black folks from all around the world, and that probably also uh, was informed uh, by his uh, Caribbean roots. Um, he continued to record with the best and the brightest of the day. Soon he is starting to lead his own groups and do his own recordings and uh, many, many innovations uh, in jazz. He is considered by many to be the greatest improviser of all time. That's, that's high praise, the greatest improviser of all time. Um, on one of the pieces he composed a little bit later uh, in his life, uh, St. Thomas, which was uh, very much a Caribbean piece, uh, kind of a calypso thing, um, it was based on a song that his mother sang to him as a child. Uh, in his improvisation, he used a rhythmic pattern, not a melodic pattern, a rhythmic pattern and he took that rhythm and displaced it within time, within the beat, within the measure, uh, many different ways, um, and then also with different pitches to create this continuously expanding uh, improvisation, but also gave that long, long solo some cohesiveness by always returning to that central rhythmic factor. This was groundbreaking because almost everyone else uh, was dealing with modality or arpeggios or scales or melodic uh, motifs or whatever, and Sonny was very much in the rhythm. And that too was probably uh, informed by his uh, Caribbean uh, background. It's all about rhythm, it's all about rhythm, and it's also all about the dance. Um, 
Which brings us to uh, another little uh, tidbit about St. Rollins. Um, even though he was a saxophone player, uh, very early uh, he was a dancer. And uh, he had a little dance duet uh, with his sister, and he thought he would be a dancer. And uh, he had an accident, uh, messed up uh, one of his ankles, and uh, that ended his dancing career. And uh, since you don't need your ankles to play the saxophone, <laughs> he, he put all of his energy into that saxophone. Uh, I'm happy he had that accident and messed up that uh, ankle because uh, without that, we may have missed um, one of the most prolific uh, performers and composers of all time. In terms, he liked to record uh, live and uh, the world Word is he has an archive of about 200 live concerts. And um, uh, so far, he's released only four of those recordings. So uh, there's a whole lot more Sonny Rollins yet to come, a whole lot more Sonny Rollins. Um, he was one of the first people to um, introduce um, uh, the jazz uh, group without a piano. Yeah, he recorded with just um, bass and drums. And uh, this style of playing was called strolling. Um, we do know that uh, in our discussion of uh, Jerry Mulligan and uh, Chet Baker on the West Coast and their smooth, smooth, not that, cool, uh, jazz uh, style, they had a pianoless uh, uh, group, although uh, Mulligan would occasionally play piano and uh, so would Chet Baker. With Rollins, there was no piano. It was uh, drums and bass and Sonny. And of course, he was the kind of improviser that he could make it happen. Um, this is another great trend that he set and a great innovation he set uh, for the jazz to come. And many have emulated it, including Bramford Marcellus and Josh Redman and Joe Lovano, who are three of the great titans on the tenor saxophone today. They all pay homage to uh, the great Sonny Rollins by emulating uh, his style. Um, many successful recordings with the best and the brightest. Uh, his style was pulled from Don Byers and uh, Bean and Prez, um, all the standard uh, tenor saxophone players of the day. Uh, and then he discovered uh, Bird and uh, that kind of uh, took him in a different direction. His sound was uh, big like Coleman Hawkins, but his improvisational lines were smooth and like uh, Prez. So he kind of absorbed everything around him and then combined it into a unique style uh, that was all his own. Uh, that's what you call genius. Absorption and then synthesis. Ask the mark of a genius and a real deep creative thinker. Um, unfortunately, uh, as uh, our discussion of Mingus uh, uh, indicated, 
uh, one of his songs, Being a Throat, was called uh, Gunslinging Bird. And uh, unfortunately, Son Rollins was one of those people who uh, was affected by Bird's dark side. Yes, right. He started using heroin and uh, became a junkie. Uh, yeah, he did. At 20, uh, he, he went to jail at Rikers for 10 months for armed robbery. Um, he did get out. And uh, while on probation, um, he was arrested a second time um, for substance abuse, primarily uh, heroin, and uh, sent off, I think, to Lexington, which was the only uh, prison we had uh, that dealt with uh, addiction, the only one at that time. And uh, that was sad, but that's where he went. And uh, he volunteered for a brand new uh, technique in working with uh, dependency called methadone treatment. Um, he kicked the habit. Yes, he did. Um, but he would worry that um, if he kicked the habit, he would not be as effective uh, of a player uh, or as creative. You see, that whole bird thing, that whole gunslinging bird thing, got deep into his head. But uh, he did not uh, go back to the drugs. Uh, he did get the heck out of New York, however, and moved to Chicago where he hung out. Uh, actually, he lived with Booker Little for a while and uh, paid his dues there, uh, playing with the local cats and making some outstanding uh, recordings uh, during this period. Later, uh, he moves uh, back to New York, and uh, in the uh, 50, 56, 57, his career is going just great. Uh, Grammy nominations, you know, great acceptance for all of his recordings, uh, you name it. And all of a sudden, in 1959, he disappears. He disappears. This was his first, uh, shall we say, uh, sabbatical from uh, touring and performing and recording and all that. It's the bridge period. Uh, he was uh, reputed to practice every night uh, on the uh, Brooklyn Bridge uh, all night long uh, for two years. Uh, he reemerged um, in 1961 and after practicing like that um, for two years, at the peak of his career, um, the recordings that followed were even more astonishing. Uh, it is at this point that he is called the saxophone colossus. Uh, there's no one uh, that can uh, rival him. Uh, John Coltrane is just starting to uh, spread his wings. Sonny is the man. Nuke is the man. Uh, he continued uh, this prolific uh, outpouring of music 
both in terms of compositions and recording, live concerts, touring, uh, you named it. He continued to uh, record uh, with full groups, quintets, quartets, and with the uh, trio uh, devoid of uh, piano, international travel, awards start uh, pouring in, everything is going great, and then 10 years later, 1969, he takes another sabbatical. This time, uh, he goes uh, to India and Mumbai and Africa and to study yoga and uh, meditation and to come to grips with centering uh, himself and uh, expanding his rural view and really uh, his uh, place uh, in the universe, uh, making peace uh, with his humanity. Uh, he was always uh, committed to um, the struggle of black folks in this country. Um, uh, Arrogant, which is Nigeria spelled backwards, was not the only uh, indication of that. Uh, he once lamented that um, how horrible uh, it was that um, the life of uh, people uh, of African descent is one that is completely of humanities, whether it is individual arts or music or dance, uh, drama, literature, whatever, that is what black people are. We are humanities. And yet, in this our forcibly adopted country, we are brutalized, we are penalized, and sometimes we lose our very life. Um, Sonny was outspoken uh, and continues to be uh, outspoken uh, in that regard. However, the music continues. Um, I actually had a chance to see him at the Clearwater Jazz Holiday. Uh, I'm informed that would have been somewhere around uh, 1998. And uh, he was moving with the trends a little bit, using electric bass, and et cetera. But it was still Sonny Man with these long solos, improvising, never repeating anything, just continuing an outpouring of creativity in the moment. Uh, like no one uh, has been able uh, to duplicate. Many have tried, but uh, there's only one uh, Sonny Rollins, and um, no one uh, could do it better. I remember uh, an interview uh, just a few years ago, and um, I think he was like uh, 85 or so, and um, Someone was asking him about his life, his daily routine, and he said, well, you know, I wake up and I get myself prepared, you know, for my day, and uh, then I practice for two or three hours every day. And, and the guy said, what? You're Sonny Rollins, you've been doing this uh, 
for what now, seven decades? You have been at this for almost seven decades. Why are you practicing like this every day? He says two reasons. Number one, I want to make sure that I communicate clearly and without fault. So I've got to have control of my instrument. Number two, there are a lot of young cats out here playing a whole lot of saxophone. And I don't want any of them running up on me thinking they can get some of this because I'm still the man. And I, 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 I thought, yeah, that's the way you got to do it. If you're going to do it, do it full blast to the very end. Sonny is 90 years old and he is still pushing. If you go to his webpage, there's a video where you can see him speak to you about his life, his philosophy, his music, his journey in his own voice. And to see this 90-year-old man speak with passion and energy of a 21-year-old, it just takes your breath away. Because once again, this man has been on this journey for seven decades and is still on the journey. He has released over 60 albums, has gotten Lifetime Achievement Award from the Grammys, many Grammys for his performances, many uh, nominations, uh, honorary doctorates, um, uh, congressional um, uh, uh, decrees, uh, not just in the United States, but all around the world. Um, he's a master, and he is a national treasure, and he is still with us. You know that not only is he creative, inspirational, dedicated to his art form, he is also strong, built with a fortitude, internal fortitude, that few human beings are gifted with. Once again, the way to really learn about Sonny Rollins is just to listen to him play. In his later years, when he was doing television performances and things like that, um, he once showed up on The Tonight Show for a guest appearance with no band. That's right. No drummer, no bass, just him and his saxophone. And you know what? When he started playing, all you could do was drop your jaw and go, my God. And when he finished, you didn't miss a piano because he was playing all the harmony. You didn't miss a drummer because he always did play all the rhythms. As a matter of fact, sometimes when there were solos with the drummer or the bass player, he would serve as a rhythm section and play a rhythmic accompaniment on the saxophone. 
He could stand alone with his saxophone and give you all the music you could stand. That is the mark of an exceptionally gifted and dedicated artist. So please, as soon as you finish with this little video, with my few little words about this giant, go listen to some Sonny Rollins and let him communicate from his soul to your soul as only he can do with the breath of life running through his Mark VI or his Busher, whichever horn he decides to bring to the gig on that day, and be baptized in the spirit of creativity that can only be found in jazz improvisation. Walter, Theodore, Rollins, thank you for visiting us in this plane of existence and staying with us through seven decades and continuing to bless us royally with that wonderful sound and that wonderful spirit. Thank you for listening.